Welcome back to Tales of Teaching. This is episode three. My name is Bryony Galligan, and this is a monthly podcast about teachers and their wonderfully varied lives. This week, we're talking to my brilliantly creative friend, Marissa. Marissa is a friend and a colleague, and for the last few years, she's found herself living in Germany after following love and then starting a family. But she also has a really interesting story to tell about a life lived in New York, a life working at one of the most prestigious performing arts schools, the Juilliard School, an institution of dance, drama and music that was established in 1905 and is on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. We'll be talking about the Juilliard experience, what path took Marissa there and how its legacy lives on in her current life here in Germany. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for speaking on my podcast, Marissa. You're so welcome. <laughs> um, so, as I've said, I'd love to use your experience at Juilliard as the nub of where we're working from to do the podcast and do a little story around that. So, um, I get to ask you loads of questions now that I probably wouldn't normally have asked, which is the, the nice thing about the podcast. Can you just describe what the atmosphere is like? Um, well, I suppose, actually, first of all, what your role was at Juilliard, but then describe like the general atmosphere of, of working and living in that kind of environment. Sure. Um, I was the head of the wig and makeup shop in the Juilliard School. We have our own production department there because there are so many full-scale productions in the school. The scenic department, lighting department, costume department, wig and makeup department, we all facilitate or did facilitate the looks for the productions at the school. And at the time that I was there, which was 2001 to 2009, we did about 15 to 20 full-scale productions in a school year. Wow. It's like three dance concerts, four full-scale operas, and about eight drama productions of various level. And did they all, were they all shown within, in-house? or were they Yes, all these were just the productions that, that the students were involved in and that our team as a production department helped to facilitate. We often had guest designers coming in to show the set design or costume design, wig and makeup design, and then the in-house staff would realize their designs best they could with our teams in the various shops. Um, The atmosphere at Juilliard, it really, I mean, the whole Lincoln Center atmosphere is just sort of pulsing with art and dance, drama, music, opera. The Metropolitan Opera House is right next door. Across the street, you have the State Theater. Um, which is where the ballet is. The students have like a level of commitment that you just Mm. can't even, I mean, you can't even really imagine. A lot of the dancers are starting just straight out of high school. They've been dancing probably most of their life anyway, but Mm. to be at a conservatory like Juilliard, the expectation and the commitment that is required in order to just, you know, finish the curriculum Mm that they have to go through. I mean, it's it's not for everyone. And so is that a, um, do they provide like boarding for people? Or Most, yeah, the, the first years you will stay in, in the, the dormitory. So the student dorms, which are sort of next door. 
Um, and then most students will move off campus then mm. with friends, get an apartment somewhere and live off campus. I mean, you'll hear famous people that have graduated from Juilliard like Kevin Spacey and Laura Dern and you know Christopher Reeves, may he rest in peace. They all mm. were postgrads. Also, Robin Williams, may he rest in peace. Mm. Um, and does that? How does that work with personalities then? Because people involved in the performing arts can have big personalities. Is or is that just a stereotype? No, it's definitely true. And I think that what the first years when they're when the children students are are living in the in the university housing. They're kind of all mixed together, so it gives an opportunity for drama students to meet dancing students and music students. Of course, personalities clash. I think what what I always had to remind myself, coming from the perspective of like I'm putting a wig on this person or doing makeup on this person, you know, there is a sense of vanity with performers, where especially young performers, where they you know often want to look good, mm. and some roles are not intended for them to look good. So yeah. there's always like a learning curve where they have to understand, okay, so I'm not going to be sexy and beautiful in this show, but, you know, that's part of portraying the character to its fullest. Like, you have to really get down to the nitty-gritty and get into that that look. And it brings so much to their, their character development. Once they do have that opportunity to get into costume and, and wigs and makeup, the, the character really does come alive. And that's always, like, the favorite moment that I've relived over and over again with every production that I've ever worked on is like that first dress rehearsal where you see everything on stage for the first time together. It's just so exciting. And then you feel proud and excited and, and then you start picking apart for like the things that you need to change. <laughs> so how does that um, planning process go in terms of, I mean, we're jumping forward here because I'd love to ask you also about like how you, for instance, came to Julia, but let's just dive into where we've got to. How does the planning process work for um, that to, to get to that point of the dress rehearsal? And particularly, how do you guide those people feeling a bit vulnerable through that process of gaining confidence in role? Well, from the costume, wig and makeup perspective, um, the designer will come in several months in advance and show sketches and you talk through, you know, what the, the desired looks are and fittings start early on both in the costume shop and in the wig and makeup shop where we're taking measurements and doing color matches and trying to see you know what we've got in stock what needs to be built at that point the actor is becoming familiar with the sketch that's mm. sort of the first introduction to what they're outwardly superficially going to look like um and then during the rehearsal process with that vision in mind um, actors, performers, dancers, opera singers, it's sort of the same process for, for those three art forms. You know, they can have that design in mind, any rehearsal costumes that are needed for rehearsal, like if there's a special kind of shoe that they'll be wearing, or we don't often provide rehearsal wigs, but if it's something really big or really long or something that will really affect movement on stage, mm. you have to provide something that's similar so that 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 can get worked with, especially if there's a lot of business with it on stage. The rehearsal process is where the performers have the opportunity to really become comfortable with those things. Um, and then... And does it change quite a lot? Um, so you start yes, off with one Yes, and idea. even after that first dress rehearsal process, there have been instances where the director will just hate something and you have to quickly Adapt. find something else, make mm. something else. 
scrap it all together. Up until opening night, there are changes happening with lights and with everything. Yeah. You know, because... It's like a living thing. It is. And then hopefully after opening night, you kind of stop getting so many notes from the director. Theoretically, they're supposed to just sort of like accept it at that point (laughs) and then just let everybody move on to their next project Mm. but yeah it's it's exciting the children children I keep saying children because I'm now working with children the young adults there also get to experience um, a stage makeup course as part of their curriculum so that was something that I taught while I was there And that was an opportunity for the opera singers, dancers, and actors to really have a look at their face, really look at, you know, what corrective stage makeup is. That's just a basic sort of natural look for for the stage. We do some character work, some aging, some gender reversal. A lot of alto or women that sing in their lower register have to play pants roles in an opera, Mm. which means they're playing boy parts. So they need to learn tricks to sort of make their face look more masculine. Um, And for dance, especially because, you know, often the movement is so quick and the drama kids, they have an advantage because a lot of times the theaters are a bit smaller. But Mm -hmm. when you're a dancer on stage, chances are the house is big, the stage is big, you're moving. So you really have to accentuate your features so that you're not completely lost on stage. So that the basic corrective for dance is often a bit more dramatic than and so than those lessons actor. would then allow people to become comfortable with knowing that their face looks a certain way in that makeup and then and then, then they do it themselves essentially like right. we couldn't we couldn't provide enough crew to make everybody up for every show yeah a basic look that the actor or dancer or opera singer can execute themselves then becomes their responsibility and will be then in the real world as well um, because they need to be able to, you know, make themselves look decent for stage once they've left school as well. So those people that you worked with, those young adults, I mean, what ages are people who are... Anywhere from like 18 to 25. Some of the graduate students in the opera department can be a bit older than that. And what kind of um, backgrounds did people tend to come from? Um, all sort of different backgrounds. I mean, you was have that your... an intention? Do you think of Juilliard as a school that they recruit, if you like, from a wide base? I mean, I think that scholarships are available, fortunately, to mm. allow um, families who cannot afford the expensive tuition to get that kind of education. Mm. Um, but that's where the talent really comes into play because the demand for spots is is massive, right? (laughs) I can imagine. I mean, there are only 19 to 20 actors beginning each school year. So times four, Mm. you know, there's 80 studying actors in the drama department and at any one time. And, you know, they're auditioning all over the country for those spots. So, you know, New York is an expensive place to live. The tuition there is expensive. You're lucky if you get some sort of scholarship. Um, I think that probably does make the student body of a different ilk than state schools where yeah. you get reduced tuition if you live in the state. Um, but so, but they still come with this um, of a stage of life that we all have experienced at 18 to 24, which is you're still trying to 
find yourself quite often yeah. um, in search for your identity. So in your role, um, I can imagine that, as you say, how you look is pretty important, whether that's on stage or off, you know, mm. and, and the, the, the image that you want to present to others, even if you choose to try not to care, it's still a conscious decision that you're mm. making to do that. So... I mean, knowing you as a friend, I know that you're a very supportive person, somebody who I can imagine nurtured that in in people and made them feel at ease quite comfortable. Is that something that you found that you naturally did? Or was it something that you that challenged you at first and you thought, okay, to get the best out of these people, I'm going to have to really work at making them feel at ease? It's, it's, sometimes it's a combination. I think it's about the tone of the conversation that that you have with them I mean working with young artists they're still learning what your role as a professional is and and you're still trying to be accommodating be nurturing you know explain that as a professional you know we we do have a good knowledge base as to like we know where this is going. Yeah. So try to try. Me. Yes. So trust me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's gone, you know, a number of different ways. Sometimes you feel a little bit maybe disrespected by the young artist, but that also goes hand in hand, hand in hand with them not knowing exactly what your role is as a professional. Mm. And as they learn that, then they start to trust you as well. Yeah. And oftentimes, if they see a picture of themselves, like, in the look, then it's very exciting for them, too. And it's mm. like, they weren't really, they didn't really know how cool it was going to look They didn't in have the, the vision. End. Right. They didn't have the, have the vision. Right. And, and, and then when they see the way it looks on stage with everybody else, you know, then it, and, and it all comes together for them as well. But, I mean, making people feel comfortable, nurturing people, that's not something that I've really ever struggled with. I think... You just have to hope that at some point there's a mutual trust mm. between the makeup artist and the performer. And so, then you speak a dialogue that, you know, both parties are, are comfortable with. So it's, it's, it's an interesting um, thing to look at and from a creative point of view because it's not just you and um, a product that you're making. It's not just you interacting with something that is... Um, static it's that there are other people's um personalities involved in what you're doing as a as an artist so you must have to be really reactive because you could have the same um idea for two different actors and then it turn out slightly different you must have to negotiate quite a few it different is a things. lot of juggling sort mm. of um, and a lot of times you don't know until you see it up on stage and yeah. then, and, and there are moments when you'll look at the director and you're both like, ah. <laughs> and that's why you might have to <laughs> amend. And right. Just... <laughs> and that's when you're like, we'll fix that for tomorrow. Don't yeah. worry. You know, don't um, panic. Don't panic. <laughs> we, we, we noticed it too. Like yeah. we'll fix it for tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of theater. That's why I love it's live exciting. theater because there's it's that spontaneity you know anything can happen on stage and the actors have to keep going Mm -hmm. you know and if somebody's mustache falls off well then they just use it as a bit you know hopefully gracefully try to stick it in their pocket so that it doesn't get trampled on and then you know you re-glue it in an emission or you know whatever it happens all the time but that's why live theater is so different than film because film can be polished perfectly 
and theater it's just it's new every night yeah you know I've heard many people say that about theater actually and people who enjoy going to the theater in London have said the same thing it's why lots of actors I guess like to go go into back, the theater as right. well yeah as They'll well as doing film may have had a film career and then like to mm. go back to Broadway or Covent Garden and do a show so you didn't you didn't end up on stage yourself, but you did you studied performing arts. I didn't end up on stage myself in the end. No, I went to a performing arts high school. Um, many people know the the show from the seventies and eighties, Fame. It of was uh, um, LaGuardia High School for Performing Arts, which is actually in New York, right next to Juilliard. Um, mine was in Houston. And rather than choosing electives in high school, we were in our art area. So we had academic work and then we spent three hours a day in our art area, whether that was dance, fine arts, music, singing, or theater. And I was in the theater department. And at that time, your freshman and sophomore year, so that was ninth and 10th grade, you weren't in a full-scale production. You were providing um, backstage help. Yeah. in whatever form. And then in 11th and 12th grade, that was your time to be on the big stage and and you got cast in a real role and then you had the 9th and 10th graders supporting mm. you. So that was how I first sort of discovered costumes mm. as a a thing, as a career possibility, as a um, something I was interested in. I mean, I had sort of kind of sewed as a child. So in high school, doing costume crew introduced me to that world yeah and then um, when I went to university I was in the theater department and I was doing my crew hours again in the costume shop and one of the graduate students sort of took me under her wing and asked me to be her assistant for an opera that she was designing and that's where it all sort of started so I spent summer at a at a theater festival in Utah as a wig and makeup artist it was the Utah Shakespearean Festival um, and then wound up really focusing on costumes, wig and make, like, wigs and makeup in, at university. And then wasn't really sure what I was going to do with that in New York. But as soon as I finished university, I moved to New York. And <laughs> I did some non-paid shows sort of as freelance the first year. And then a year later, I got a job as a stitcher in the Juilliard School costume shop. And then moved to the wig and makeup shop a year later as the assistant where I then assisted for three years and then ran the shop for three years. So your your life has involved theatre, uh, performing arts for a long time now. Yeah, since I was 14, I guess. And what did you know that that was like performing arts was, was where you wanted to be? I mean, of your the way you went to high school would have also been not the easiest of places to get into, I would imagine. No, it was a, it was a magnet school. So although it was part of the Houston independent like public school system, you have to audition to yeah. get in. So you already had an aim of being involved in yes. this world, even at that age. I wanted to, well, I didn't want to go to my high school. I knew that. Mm. And some parents' friends, my parents' friend's daughter was in the vocal department at HSPVA and I was like how can I get in there well I don't play an instrument and I can sort of sing (laughs) but I had done lots of speech and debate in middle school right and I I, you know sort of dabbled in in public speaking always enjoyed looking at theater didn't really envision it as a career Mm. path and then I was working with my 
speech and debate teacher on a couple monologues for the audition for the high school and I got in. So that was sort of how it all started. It's so interesting because it, it, you can trace it back now, but you mm-hmm. possibly would never have planned that route. You know, nobody could have foreseen what was ahead of you. And I think sometimes if we think about now going like into class, um, children talk about what they want to do you mm-hmm. know, in their later life. And they've got no idea what, what is between them at whatever age it is, six, eight, ten, and the aim that they're going to get to. So I think it's just so important to tell stories like, like yours because they're so varied and they're so interesting and there isn't one way of doing it. And, um, but there's something in it there. There's a thread, you know, that you identified something that you enjoyed really above everything and mm. then pursued it bit by bit. You know, each right hurdle. without really knowing how to go about it. Like I, we knew that the audition entailed you need to do a dramatic monologue and a comedic monologue. And you know, as I said, I had done speech and debate, so public speaking was never a problem for yeah. me. But I wasn't really sure, like, about being an actor. Like, how do you do that? And so we prepared these monologues, and and then you know that high school experience was also amazing because again I was in a school where people between the age of 14 and 18 were 100% committed to their art form and it's incredible uh, infectious yeah it's infectious and there we had these things in the cafeteria called happenings where at lunchtime musicians would just sort of get up and like perform something what a brilliant idea why don't we do that at school I just know. have busking in the cafeteria it was know, like... it was just spontaneous yeah. you know and then you would have some of the vocal students chiming in and doing some singing or the jazz musicians you know plunking away on their guitar and piano and I mean it and feels fast, like a tv show but it really was 20 like... years and you get the 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 flash mob of the um hillary dance in yes park, which was which so was... so amazing <laughs> yeah elections. at union square <laughs> yeah. that was a former student yara travieso she sort of that was one of her things yeah, and, and and she probably did that similar thing when she was 14 you know and it's yeah she's one of those she was the dancer when i was you know working at juilliard and she she was one of those people that just oozed art, like, mm. all the time, without <laughs> trying, you know. Just one of those free spirits yeah. that's just... I was just listening to something this morning, um, and it was about... It's going off topic a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was about the Dalai Lama, and it was about somebody talking about him, saying he is one of those people who doesn't switch it on and switch it off. Mm. You know, he is who he is whether there's anybody in the room or not and um that's the same kind of thing that you're talking about isn't that what we all just strive for because that's just basically about being your true self isn't it because you're not and and in a case like hers i don't think she ever had to wonder who her true self was it was just so lucky her yeah lucky her that's the (laughs) thing it just came from her without really trying which you know, it's, it's inspiring. It is inspiring. And it's, them. it's also, it makes you think because, you know, I've had now several different career paths mm. and it's like, where do I, where will I be in 10 years? Will I be doing a third thing? Mm. You know, that's... so it, 
fast fast forwarding on then you mm. left new york um because you uh, were getting married or got right. married yeah and have started a family here in in germany and um must have been a hard move professionally because um you know new york to leipzig is um a change a change <laughs> But you've managed to find your tribe here, haven't you, through theatre still. Yes, um, and you've also had a career change because you've become a primary school teacher. Um, what are, this is going to be a tricky question perhaps, I don't know, but how, how have you brought what you, what you learn and the skills that you needed to be good at, in, at working in, at Juilliard and your career before that? How, how do they apply to now to being where you are in, in your life? Well, what's interesting is that as a child, I wanted to be a teacher. And my mother was a French teacher, as well as primary school teacher for, in a private school. And um, she sort of dissuaded me against that. Not, not that she said, you're not allowed to be a teacher. But it was more like, oh, perhaps there are other careers that, that you might want to pursue instead. I mean, we all know that teaching can be challenging. Mm. There's always more you can do. There's never enough time. Behavior problems, you know, it's and 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 if you wanted to, as I said, you can always do more. Mm. You could, you know, be working 20 out of 24 hours if you if you, if you could. Yeah. But um I wound up taking this theater path in high school and college and then for my first career, as I like to call it, my past life, from 2000 to 2009 in New York. Um, and moving to Leipzig, doing a bit of freelance, quickly discovering that working nights and weekends and holidays wasn't great for my relationship with my husband, mm. let alone once I had a small child, mm. because, you know, Nights and weekends were the time that we wanted to spend together as a family. And if I had to go prepare the actors for a show and be there from 4 p.m. until midnight, that interrupted that family time quite Mm. a bit. So it's not something you can go and do for an hour and... Right, and then leave. Mm. And that's the thing. It's a commitment where, you know, you're there there for pre-show, you're there for the performance, and then you have to break it down at the end of the night. and it's a hard life unless your family, your husband is also in the theater. You know, the time schedule thing is tricky because we would never see each other. So um, when Max was a baby, I looked into doing my certification to become a teacher. And once I started teaching, hmm. I thought a lot about my time teaching makeup for the stage, for example, at Juilliard. You know, you have a class, you have a curriculum. You have projects yeah. that you need to resource, research, make sure you have the makeup you know, on hand that you need for these particular activities. And although the subject matter is different, the same elements are involved. Yeah. Like, you know, what is the learning objective? Sort of all of that general planning stuff, you know, I had done before, but in a very different setting mm. with young artists studying to be performers, learning about themselves, learning about, you know, just the basics of, of, you know, stage makeup for, for performing. And, and then, you know, there's always the, the part of me that is still 
a bit envious of people I left behind Mm. that are still working in the Broadway world at Juilliard. And, you know, you see on Instagram and Facebook, you know, cool images from performances that they're working on, Broadway shows, movies and TV shows and things. But I've tried best I could to incorporate some, some theater into my existence here. We have a little theater group called the English Theater Leipzig and we're doing about three shows per season at the Neue Schauspiel which is a a small little theater down on Lutznerstrasse and you know we do productions in English and sometimes we cast German actors but the text is still English so they find that interesting as well acting in English. And Um, do you find that you have more influence and say uh, because it's a smaller team or is that not really the case? I mean definitely I mean also the resources are just such a different scale yeah then you have to be more creative in a way be more creative (laughs) it's kind of like how can I beg borrow and steal what I need for Mm. this show Mm. with small budget you know limited resources um and you also do um, the school high school, um, what we call secondary school. Mm. You help with that. Yeah, they do well. a couple. So there's a drama club um, and they do usually a small scale black box production in the fall, which I try to have not so much to do with. It's usually contemporary. You know, the children, the, the students find their own looks for the most part for that. Not a whole lot of production elements involved. Okay. And then in the spring, they do a full-scale production. We've done everything from Sweeney Todd and Godspell, which were musicals, to The Crucible, which we did this year, Mm. Arthur Miller's Crucible. And And that must be huge for them when they have your influence of costume and makeup. It is really, it's exciting to see them get so excited because, Mm. you know, I know... I've done this quite a few times now and (laughs) trying to balance that with my job and my home life. You know, I always joke about how, you know, my husband will get up in the middle of the night and I'm still sitting on the couch, like sewing alterations to these costumes. But like, when else am I going to do it? Um, The children get so excited and, you know, they love it. Yeah. And I was listening to somebody, I always saying I was listening to somebody but I was listening to somebody (laughs) yesterday talking about wanting to write and she had a family and she decided that the way the only way she could do it would be to get up super early like 4 30 and she gets up at 4 30 even now this is like years and years on but it means that you have to not do something else so she stopped watching tv for instance in the evening but you have to find you've got to make you've got to make that time because mm. otherwise it disappears. It's the thing that gets you know that evaporates. It's sort of from last on the list. And Absolutely, then, and that's why I you know I didn't go into my primary school teaching thinking oh I need to keep my hand in the theater just in case. It just sort of wound up happening. Yeah, organically. But you know, in ten years, I may want to just work in the theater again. In which case. You know, 15 years haven't gone by where I didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, it's important for my resume. It's important for me because it's it's my thing. It's a thing I had before and it's a thing that I just don't want to lose. 
And although the scale is very different, the creative process is still the same. And I think for the person who you're helping in that character, for them, that experience is as important as the very experienced person at Juilliard stepping out onto the stage. Oh, absolutely. And it changes everything for them once they are in their costume. And, you know, just the feeling of, of wearing somebody else's clothes just transports them into mm. that next world where they want to be. I found it a bit tricky with class assemblies not becoming like a crazy <laughs> stage mom <laughs> because it's hard. It's hard when your expectations are one thing and you've got seven-year-olds. Yeah. And you need to keep the lid on it slightly. <laughs> but I feel sometimes like crazy stage mom in the background. They, yeah, and they are also markedly a step up <laughs> from your peers. Right, so it's it's interesting to for me to just pull back and be like, okay, this is just a class assembly. So this is not um, a Broadway show. Then, to, so you, you know, you might, you might indeed go back to it in, in the future. And, and actually, I think that is something I had. I've got a really good friend back in England who is a singer and has wanted to make it her the, the main source of her income purely so that she can dedicate all her time to it for some time. And a while ago, she was umming and ahhing about whether she should continue. And, um, had had some, I think she'd had some some feedback or some comments from people about, you know, maybe you should think about doing something else. And I, I was like, well, if you took this away from you, you wouldn't be complete. You know, it's something that is part of you. Um, and I can sort of see that you would possibly feel the same. You know, it's part of who you are, mm. and you, it's like a, it's like a need. You know, and if you, you were I to... just feel so at home in the theater. Mm. I sit there during tech rehearsal or dress rehearsal or when we have productions with only a couple actors mm. um you know often I will go in just for pre-show and get them ready if yeah. it's a special hair look or a special makeup look that I don't feel confident leaving to them I'll run over and I'll do pre-show and then I'll leave so I'm not staying for every production but I I just feel at home in the theater and this is a particularly grungy smoky theater but it just it feels right i don't know how to explain it you found uh, like a it's like like a a home away from home home. yeah Yeah. exactly home away from home i just it's a lovely thing to find i just didn't and i feel lucky that that you know we've we were now a farine so that's official um so we're our own not-for-profit little theater group and i'm just excited you know i'm sort of the resident costume designer yeah um so you excited belong to, to be something. a part of, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm excited mm-hmm. to be a part and of I it. And I think this is something that Charlene mentioned as well in a previous podcast is that having your life outside of like your just your job and your family, there's like another person there as well, which mm-hmm. is yourself and having something that you can talk about and focus on is it makes you more whole as a person. And I feel lucky that like even though my husband thinks I'm crazy most of the time, he gets it. Yeah. And he wouldn't want you to change because that's the right. And he also, you know, he's always like, "Well, you know, it's it's always torture torture for you, like during the process, Mm. trying to balance everything." But you're always so happy with it when you're finished. Yeah, yeah. And I am generally, you know, proud of what I've done. If there's any advice that you would give to 
somebody who's at the beginning of a journey or maybe is considering a, a change in their, you know, halfway Career. through their life or, or what, how would you say, where could they start if they wanted to be, be involved in this theatre world? I think um, it depends sort of what age we're talking about. Mm. Explore any performing opportunity you can as a young person, you mm. know, in primary school, in secondary school. Because as I did at my performing arts high school, sort of started out in the acting end of it, discovered costume design and wigs and makeup as a, you know, I, I was still part of the theater, but I was doing something that I was really good at. Perhaps mm. acting wasn't my thing. Um, and it opened up a whole nother opportunity for me. Yeah. So keep and your I options knew, open Yeah, as exactly. Well. Keep your options open because I knew that like, you know, there are so many people tr- struggling as actors in the world trying mm. to make it like whatever it means to make it, you know, there are different levels of what that means. <laughs> yeah. But I knew that if all else failed, you know, I could be a stitcher in a costume shop or, you know, ventilate a wig on the side, <laughs> um, either for a cancer patient or for a show mm. and make some money. Yeah. I didn't know at that time that acting was not going to be the thing that I pursued, mm. but I knew that I could still be in that world and doing something else mm. if the acting thing wasn't working at that moment. So keeping your options open. Also, if you're looking into like a career change, you know, there is something to be said for getting an education in that field. I mean, I was lucky at my undergrad, there was a costume design program for mm. undergrads and graduate students. And because of that, I was able to learn the essential skills like tailoring and dressmaking and fabric painting and dyeing, hat making. That was all part of our curriculum mm. as a costume design student. So having those skills obviously gives you an advantage because mm. you are educated in that field. Yeah, and also just jump right in and see if you enjoy it because... Right, because you may sitting you may edge, not, you may but not. you may meet someone who drags you along on a different yeah. project that you you then find out that you really love being a stage manager because you're so organized. That is not me, but you know there there's a role for everyone, and you know I call it my past life, my New York life, with a tear in my eye. But <laughs> you know there are definite advantages to living here as opposed to living in New York City. It was perfect for me in the years from 20 to 30 when I lived there. Yeah, absolutely. Not married, no children, just sort of like living the life. Mm. But it would be a struggle now. Yeah. And with it's, a family. It's, it, different places suit different phases. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if they don't match, then you're just struggling somewhere, you know, and you're, you, yeah, so... And then there are ways to sort of get your, I get my theater fix, right? Yeah. Without. So it's less, you're being less um, purist about it and being more um, adaptable. Right. And fitting and it in at with the, the moment, it's kind of, of a life. hobby, mm-hmm. even though it was my career. It's, it's sort of, it's moved. It's lateral to what I'm doing yeah. now. Well, it's been so lovely to speak to you. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I've loved hearing about it. And, uh, it's um it's it's an interesting 
world, the Juilliard world, the New York world. It's um There's exciting. a certain amount of mystique, isn't there, mm. about it from the outside, from somebody who, you know, I'm from England and that, that world, even to me, from the other side of an ocean is still intriguing and, you know, you hear things and there's a... Yeah, so it's been fascinating. It's just, it's talent. When you see talent, mm. it's inspiring. Yeah. Thanks, Marissa. Sure, Bryony. Love you. Aww. <laughs> Perfect.